Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with all of you. I am very, very pleased to be here. Calisto, very well done, as always. And uh, what an honor and pleasure to be with all of you. Um, all of you are moving the border region forward in so many, many significant ways. And it's a really good transition to be speaking about the renewable energy sector and how it is growing uh, throughout the border. I think it's important to point out that uh, uh, as we as an organization are uh, privately funded, we're an economic development and policy advocacy group that represents Ciudad Juarez, El Paso, and Doniana County, New Mexico, Las Cruces. Uh, so we are at the front of seeing uh, a dramatic transformation. I don't want to repeat many of the data and information that have been presented on reshoring and nearshoring, but it's a really it's, it is happening, and it's real. Our organization, uh, seven years ago when I took over the organization, saw very few, uh, if any, reshoring and nearshoring opportunities. Today, we're at record levels of activity for vetted projects, uh, mainly in manufacturing. Uh, almost 40% of those projects are reshoring and nearshoring opportunities. And if I might drill in a little more, uh, and I know I, my sister organizations throughout the world uh, on both sides, which are economic development organizations are experiencing the same thing. But to drill down further, the importance of why we're talking about this subject on this panel is that uh, our mega projects that are rolling in now, uh, $500 million US and above investment, uh, virtually every single one of them want renewable. They want renewable industrial parks, they want to build a renewable facility, and these are facilities that are a million square feet typically and above. So this is significant that we're talking about that. So I want to plant that as an introductory comment. And uh, But again, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Joe. Well, number one, how has the trend towards reshoring and nearshoring production gained momentum in recent years? And what are the main drivers behind this change? Well, we're experiencing, as I said, record levels of interest in our area. But I think uh, we're preaching to the choir here in that we talk about uh, French shoring, near shoring, near shoring ad nauseum. But we have to realize that we're not automatically a default location for uh, the movement of jobs in the manufacturing sector from China. We are, I'm not talking about we as a, a, a border region, around uh, San Diego, both sides of the border, uh, are going to be facing increasing competition from countries like Vietnam and India. Uh, so we can't just sit back and relax and expect that things are going to automatically continue to flow to our region. Because these countries, uh, those two in particular, are investing heavily in their workforce, they're investing heavily in their infrastructure. And uh, just recently, uh, Apple has moved its uh, Chinese manufacturing to Vietnam for its iPod, uh, uh, the earbuds, as I understand it. Uh, Hasbro uh, has moved out of China to India. Um, and this trend uh, could continue. So what we need to do is prepare for uh, the eventuality that there will be new and different competitors in, in this global marketplace of, of, of movement of jobs. Um, I do believe, to answer the question more directly, I do believe that this trend will continue at least for another three to five years. We have a once-in-a-generation opportunity, those of us who live in the border areas, to really rethink. 
reset uh, the narrative and to reset our opportunities. But we have to be prepared, and that's why NADBank plays such a critical role in providing the uh, financial needs to prepare for the, the reforming. And as I mentioned before, it's incredibly important to mention that companies now, the large companies, the mega projects, are expecting there to be a uh, renewable option. And if there's not, they're going to look at the next uh, part of the world or the next part of the country uh, if, if we can't provide that. So uh, it, it's incredibly important. Uh, one last thing I will say, uh, fascinating to me. Uh, the Chinese youth unemployment rate that's between 16, ages between 16 and 25, uh, is an astounding 21.6% as of June. To put that in perspective, the U.S. youth unemployment rate is something along the lines of usually held around 8%. Mexico's officials right, uh, statistics usually around 7.5%. Something's going on, obviously, in the Chinese economy that is very astounding, so much so that the National Statistics Bureau in China, uh, as I understand it, is suspending the unemployment reports uh, starting August because, for obvious reasons. <laughs> it's very bad news in their economy. So the trend is certainly moving in our direction. Unemployment rate is skyrocketing in China. Uh, that will continue, I believe. And uh, so stay tuned on that. Continuing with uh, John. How can regions like the Borderplex best position themselves to attract reshoring, nearshoring in key industries? What competitive advantages can North America leverage versus China? Well, there are some obvious advantages that we have uh, to offer uh, geographic location and access to global markets, the North American market, uh, the uh, wonderful uh, workforce that we have. Um, and I want to focus on workforce and infrastructure. Uh, first part on infrastructure, I don't want to repeat again uh, the, the, the uh, data that's been provided earlier today other than to simply add that the Perryman report that came out and was commissioned in Texas uh, said that for one, uh, every minute there's a delay on the bridge, it costs uh, the North American economy $1 million. Uh, it kind of echoes what the ambassador was uh, addressing his uh, introductory remarks. Uh, I am very, very happy to see that there is now a serious effort across uh, the 2,000-mile border to invest in uh, new technologies. In El Paso, uh, thanks to our Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, uh, we uh, were able to get $700 million for a improvement to the Bridge of the Americas, so that's a significant uh, investment uh, in our infrastructure. We don't prepare for that. Uh, it will not optimize the job growth that we will inevitably see. Uh, to transition into my second point, uh, three years ago I testified in front of the Texas legislature and in front of Congress uh, <coughs> right before COVID hit. And I was, protect I was projecting that our border region on both sides uh, will have uh, added uh, 100,000 uh, jobs both direct and indirect, in the next five years. I think we're on track for doing that. Um, the borderplex region that I represent uh, has moved now to the fifth largest manufacturing hub in North America, over 330,000 direct jobs in manufacturing. Uh, five years ago, we were number eight. Uh, we surpassed Detroit, and I believe at the end of this year, 
we will surpass the New York tri-state area uh, for the fourth position. And I know my colleagues, uh, Andy and San Diego, they are moving up the, 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 the scale as well. They're currently number three, about to become number two, uh, the San Diego Tijuana area. So what does this mean? Uh, well, infrastructure, yes, but workforce. And I know that I saw Commissioner earlier today, and workforce is what we need to prepare for. Uh, it is absolutely vital. I know it's really not the topic of this conversation, but that's the competitive advantage that we have, is, uh, is our workforce. And uh, on both sides of the board, it's very young, uh, very uh, productive by all objective measures. And uh, that's what people are looking for now. Uh, can you have a train to trainable workforce? That's our number one question when people ask. And so uh, it's incumbent upon us when we talk about infrastructure to talk about the educational infrastructure uh, on both sides of the board. So uh, that, that's what I see, and that's how we can use this. And, and do you see the same level of education in the United States as in Mexico? Is there any difference between the, the, the workforce in, in that uh, level? I think both sides of the border are producing some outstanding talent. Um, but again, you know, everything's relative. Uh, the Chinese uh, are producing 600,000 uh, engineers every year. Uh, the U.S. is right around 250,000 on a good year. Uh, per capita, uh, Mexico produces more engineers than the United States, which is a good thing. Uh, but the STEM uh, fields are something that we need to prop up in sure we are, are, are heading in the right direction. Uh, in the short term, I'm concerned about the U.S. educational system. Uh, the test scores, uh, many of you might have seen, have dropped dramatically in math, especially uh, with uh, middle school students, those people around the 8th grade, those kids around the 8th grade. That is a very disturbing trend. Uh, and uh, the pipeline for engineering students is not looking so great uh, if we look at the longer term. Uh, so, on one hand, the workforce is, a, is an advantage, but if we don't continue to encourage our young people to get into engineering, uh, we're going to be uh, not optimizing our, our opportunities. Again, this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity we're talking about. Um, another question, John. In your view, what policies or initiatives could further accelerate reshoring and nurturing to strengthen North American industry and reduce reliance in China? Well, we, we have, at least in the United States, I have uh, launched uh, a federal program of spending, industrial policy that I think will, uh, with its CHIPS Act, the IRA, all of the, the major pieces of legislation that passed in the last 18 months, uh, will, for at least the next few years, uh, bolster uh, I call it the pull factor of jobs uh, to be created uh, in the United States. If there's a cloud on the horizon that really, uh, really concerns me, if I might, uh, and this is, I think, a, a significant point for all of us, presidential election year in both countries coming up next year. I am extremely concerned about the national rhetoric on the U.S. side of the border and how it will impact. Comments like invading Mexico to stop the drug cartels, blockading Mexican ports to stop the fentanyl trade from China, 
using deadly force to stop suspected uh, drug smugglers coming across the border. These comments a few years ago was considered crazy talk. Uh, today, it's getting normalized in the presidential discourse. How does that affect us on trade? Uh, we will be doing the six-year review of the USMCA in two short years thereabouts. And this anti-Mexico rhetoric is potentially poisonous to the trade relationship of both countries, the bilateral relationship, especially in the grander picture. So we all have to be on guard for this. Um, it doesn't take a political scientist to figure that if this type of hateful rhetoric continues, it will probably spawn some nationalistic thought in Mexico during their presidential election, during your presidential election. Uh, and then the spiral uh, downward continues. I'm not saying a normal I predict that that will happen, but these types of things are a threat. It will stop uh, the investments in that bank, potentially, if things uh, start becoming very nativist uh, in the United States. Uh, clearly, it will have an impact, potentially, in the Mexican presidential election, this type of talk. And it's something we all need to be very cognizant of, uh, very aware of, and push back as much as we possibly can. Uh, it's, a grand, it's a grander picture, view of what's going on in, in, in both sides. But uh, if we're not careful, uh, this, this could spin very much out of control. And it has me greatly concerned, and it's something that, uh, that certainly I'm uh, trying to work on and uh, very, very concerned about. One last uh, question for you, John. Uh, looking ahead, how concerned are you about China's economic practices and ambition to dominate strategic technologies and industries? How big of like, a strategic threat does uh, China pose to North American economic competitiveness and, and national security? By way of background, uh, about 10 years ago, a decade ago, I gave a speech in Albuquerque when I was Secretary of Economic Development in New Mexico. And uh, I could spot the trend. And I declared at that speech in Albuquerque that the Chinese manufacturing experiment was going to fail if it hadn't already started to fail at that point uh, for a variety of reasons increased labor costs, utilities are expensive in China, uh, the theft of intellectual property uh, that is very routine, uh, the unsettled political environment, and this is uh, certainly 10 years ago with the geopolitical tensions between the U.S. and China, the Sino-American relationship wasn't nearly as strained as it is now. Um, so, again, as I mentioned, those statistics about the, uh, the challenge the Chinese are facing. Um, I'm an optimist that North America, uh, it's our time. This business about the Chinese century, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, China wanted to surpass the U.S. GDP by 2030. It's not even close. Uh, they have 150 million units uh, that we know of, of housing that is not filled, but it's been leveraged by debt. Uh, there are road projects that are being canceled uh, all sorts of things are going on in China that we 
don't know the whole full story of it. Um, and I'm not bashing China for the sake of bashing China. These are just economic facts. Um, the confluence of crises, as I call it, uh, bear in our favor. Uh, we've already mentioned that, those crises that are existing uh, around the world, namely in Asia, uh, certainly China, Taiwan. Won't repeat what's, what's been said before. Uh, but uh, I believe, I always truly believe that our system, our trading relationship, our interdependence economically uh, creates a center of gravity that's undeniable for these jobs and for our advantage uh, to play out over the next few years. I am not as worried about China as an economic power. I am worried more about China as a military power. And that might seem like a disconnect. Uh, the two are certainly related. But uh, I am very concerned about their military operations. Uh, some of their IP theft has gone directly into the military. I don't digress too much off the topic. But the bottom line is that Mexico we need to start talking about this in state capitals and in Washington, D.C. Mexico is an economic and political ally of the United States. And if we view Mexico in Washington, D.C., anything other than that, um, we're in trouble from a geopolitical standpoint. Don't you know the Chinese would love to fill that vacuum? So that's how we need to start positioning this uh, relationship in terms of the most general sense. It's talking about Mexico as an economic and strategic ally. Uh, and we know that in this room. But you go into uh, other parts of the United States, uh, they don't see it like that. And uh, so we need to be very forceful in vis-a-vis uh, in, 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 in -vis the Chinese relationship, how Mexico uh, we need very desperately uh, in our corner. And uh, of course, that means better trade, our jobs, uh, and of course, uh, more investment in our, uh, our in our local infrastructure. Yeah. Thank you, Joe.